I love the news. I'm an unashamed, not quite news junkie, but I, I really like knowing what's going on. It's one of those things that I think is exciting to live in a world today that we can find out what's going on. And, well, I'm, gonna, I'm thinking of a story, basically, that happened last October, so I'm, I'm not sure how many of you will remember it. Maybe if I put the picture up, you, you, might, you might just get a little sneaking uh, idea. This was Girl with a Balloon, done by Banksy, a, a piece of work that we could all afford. I mean, it only went for £1.4 million. Pounds. You know, I'll, I'll buy two. And, um, you know, Banksy is a really interesting artist. He's, he's done work from Bethlehem to Cheltenham. He's, he's done work from the south coast to the west bank. He's, he's gone all over the world and sprayed his art. He, he's even gone down to Patalbert. You know, if you've ever been to that particular bit of Patalbert, that really is going to a very different kind of place. But, you know, the thing is, is that just like that piece in Patalbert, actually, all of his work has got some kind of message to it. It's, it's got meaning. He's a political activist. He's a, a blogger, a vlogger. Um, well, he's a blogger. He's not a vlogger because the weird thing about him is even though he's done all these things in public, nobody really knows who he is. We know he comes from Bristol. That much we're pretty certain of. And, well, he likes to shock, I think, is the idea. He really likes his artwork to, to provoke some kind of reaction. And just as the hammer fell last October, for, as I've said, £1.4 million to a telephone bidder, a shredder that had been hidden in the frame of the picture started to operate. And it kind of fell down through. And, well, a very expensive piece of work was systematically destroyed by the artist because he doesn't like his work being sold, really. Uh, can you imagine what that would have felt like? You know, you've, you've just bought something for that kind of money. Can you imagine the person on the end of the phone? Um, hi, I, I know what you've just bought, but um, there's a slight problem. Oh, really, what is it? Are there extra fees? Um, no. Uh, don't turn on your TV. Uh, <laughs> It's just been shredded. I mean, can you, it's just crazy. Girl with a balloon became love in the bin. That's what Banksy called it. And Banksy was probably there. They, they think it was remote controlled. And the, as that hammer came down, that's how the timing could be so perfect. He pressed the button and zzz, Goodness me. But do you know what? It really got me thinking. When, when I saw that image, when, when I, I witnessed it on TV, that, that poignant image of, of something that was so valuable, so cherished by somebody, just going through the shredder, being destroyed, the, the image struck, really stuck in my head. And I think the reason for it is that well, just like that Banksy artwork, we're, we're all shredded masterpieces. We're 
not as we should be. You see, you go all the way back, back to the beginning, go back into Genesis, and I'll read it. It's, it's New Living Translation, but let me read this. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I've given you every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Everything that has life. And that's what happened. Then God looked over all he made and he saw it was very good. And the evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. Can you imagine that? There was a time in stark contrast to what happened on Friday. There was a time when God looked at humanity and said, it's very good. Not just good, not just okay, very good. Wow. Wouldn't it have been amazing if that could have lasted? Wouldn't it have been great, but, well, you know the story. But the Lord God warned him, as Adam, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Everything, every green plant, every fruit tree, everything that is there you can eat, just one. Just one you mustn't touch, just one you mustn't go to. And then the serpent came along. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? And then God walking in the garden in the cool of the evening as he did every night. Who told you that you are naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Man being truly manly and taking accountability for all of his actions. It was the woman you gave me that gave me the fruit and I ate it. Woman being truly responsible for all her actions. Uh, the Lord God said to the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me. That's why I ate it. And you know what? We've been pointing the finger at other people ever since. It's the one thing that sadly we are very, very good at. The masterpiece, the very good of God's creation, shredded in a moment. All because one bite. Just one bite was all it took. It and it's not really a case of eating the wrong thing. It's the case of, did God really say? Did God really say I should live this way? Or did God really say I should act like this? Did God say I should take him seriously? 
All the while we hear in our ears every day the enemy whispering, did God really say? <coughs> it ends up reinforcing that my way is the best way. It ends up reinforcing that I can pick and choose what I like out of the scriptures, the stuff that suits me. Everything else I can just ignore, I can just sweep under the carpet. Sadly, the blessing of God, the very good of God, became the curse. Yeah. We went from very good to not good at all. We blew it. And that would be great if it was just Adam and Eve's problem, wouldn't it? Yeah, I, I, it'd be, it, it's them, it's not, it's not me. I've never sinned. I've never made a mistake. I've never got it wrong. If you believe that, then you'll believe anything. You see, the thing is, is I can look at my life. I can look at my life and I can see all the things that aren't right in it. So I might scurry around and put a few of them right and then other things seem to pop up. You see, sin corrupts and taints and it taints the heart. So sad. See, God said a load of things. And this is now not working. There we go. We'll do without it. God said a whole load of things. You see them in the Ten Commandments. The, did God really say that nothing should come before him in my heart? Did God really say that only he should be worshipped? Did God really say I should only take oaths in his name? I shouldn't make any oaths in his name, sorry. Did God really say I should just take a rest once a week? Just once a week, but once a week's enough. Did God really say I should honour my parents? Or that I should respect life and uphold it? Did God really say that I should devote myself to one person and one person alone? That I should be content with everything that I have? That I shouldn't gossip? That I should be grateful for what God has given me? Surely just one bite won't hurt. Surely just one little snack. Jesus speaks. He speaks into that situation. He speaks into that thought process. You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. I think we're all in agreement with that. That sounds reasonable and rational, doesn't it? But I say, if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. Uh, I've never killed anybody, but I've been angry. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. Makes you think differently about the way you drive your car, doesn't it, when somebody cuts you up? Idiot! Oh, oh, bother. That's not good. See, Jesus turned things on its head. The least offence becomes as big as the greatest. He takes it and says... Your actions are one thing, but it's your heart I'm really interested in. It's what you're like inside. It's your inner being. Paul says it in the book of Romans. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. I've obviously been accidentally pushing the button whilst I've been speaking. You see, we are all shredded masterpieces every last one of us part of something that was once beautiful 
but is now broken, disfigured. But the thing that did strike me when I looked at that picture, and I don't know if you notice it, they think that the shredder didn't work as planned. Banksy's idea was for the whole piece of work to get shredded. But the whole piece of work wasn't shredded. He called it love in the bin. But the thing that strikes me, it's the image of the person that's shredded. And it's the heart balloon that remains untouched. It's the image of love that is undamaged. It's more like love saved from the bin than love in the bin to me. And you've seen it up on the screen earlier. Paul wrote that the law shows how sinful we are. But Jesus said that how we love each other shows that we are actually Christians. So I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Well, that means there's meant to be something distinctive about the way that we love. Something distinctive about the way that we act towards each other. Something which sets us apart from everybody else. As John said, we love each other because he loved us first. It's a call that recognizes that we are all shredded masterpieces. We are all broken in our own way. Something that was once beautiful and yet now ruined, but that God is in the job of restoring shredded masterpieces. He's in the job of making broken things new. You see, we don't love each other as a response to each other. We love each other as a response to what God is like. We see God and go, he manages to love me. Gosh, I best love somebody else. I best love my family, the church. It's a call that has absolutely no end in Christ. It goes on and on and on through generation to generation through individual to individual. We're called to endure in love. And that's quite a challenge if we're honest, isn't it? Hands up how many people find it really easy to love everybody in this room all the time. Point proven. You see, the thing is, is that we are, remem- we are called to remember just what Jesus is like. We're called to remember that before the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come, that it was drawing close to time. But John records he had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. The very end. He didn't stop loving them, which is pretty amazing when you see how his disciples behaved on that last evening. They liked the meal. They didn't like the praying, and they certainly didn't like the arrest. But Jesus kept on loving them, loving them and loving us enough to go to that cross, to carry our sin, to deal with it all. 
You know, I'm, I'm not a great fan of quoting song lyrics or hymn lyrics in sermons. I, I very, very, very rarely do it. So it made me smile a bit when we sang it earlier. But I think Stuart Townend did actually sum it up. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out amongst the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. How easily we sing things that actually are horrifying. We sing them, we think, great, wonderful celebration. It was my sin that held him there. I hear my voice among the scoffers. If we said, did you hear your voice among the scoffers? I bet all of you would kind of go, oh, no, 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 I don't. But we sing it because it's true. You see, we should obey the call to love each other precisely because we know that we are shredded masterpieces ourselves. We know that we are broken. And if we're broken and God is putting us right, then you're all broken, but God is putting you right. We're all broken together. And that does not mean we ignore sin. That doesn't mean we just sit there and go, that's fine, sin as you like. It'll all be all right in the end. No. Jesus said this, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always to the very ends of the earth. Do you know, we're good at remembering the do not commands, aren't we? How good are we at remembering a new command I give to you? Love each other. Love each other. We're called to grow in Christ. We're called to become more like Jesus. That means we love each other more like Jesus would love us and love them. When he was asked what the commandments should be summed up as, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's a challenge. It's a huge challenge. It's a challenge when we think of the events of the last week. It's a challenge when we think of the events of Brexit. It's a challenge with everything. Because we're all broken, messed up, shredded masterpieces. We just have one slight advantage. We're meant to realize it and go, that's okay. God will do something for us, do something in us. It's not about setting ourselves up as being better. It's about setting ourselves up so that we know what love looks like and we practice it. 1 Corinthians 12, 31 through to 14, verse 1. It's all about love. Some excerpts up there. Let me read this. But now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I'd be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. 
Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Let love be your highest goal. The challenge in that is huge. It doesn't matter how good you are at anything. It doesn't ma- matter whether you can It doesn't matter whether you could recite pi to 31.2 trillion places which would take about 31,000 years, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you can make the most beautiful art or the most beautiful music or speak the most eloquent words or bake the best cakes or give the best cutches doesn't matter if there's not love in it if love is underpinning it then it's great if love is not there it's pointless it's a waste of time you see we know what love looks like it's patient it's kind it's gracious it's peaceable it holds short accounts it's well it rejoices when justice and truth wins out. It mourns when it doesn't see that happen. You can tell true love by its hope and its faith and its perseverance. You can, you can see this because everything else passes away. Have you ever thought that the way that we love down here is simply preparation for the way that we will love in heaven? Because I could bring a tongue. Fantastic. Wonderful. Gift of the Holy Spirit. Or a prophecy. But if it's not underpinned by love, well then, I don't need those things in heaven. You won't need a tongue because we'll all be worshipping together. You don't need prophetic stuff because you're going to be in the very presence of God. But you will need to love God. That love is going to remain. You see, I would hope that we're all here tonight because we recognize that we're shredded masterpieces, that we haven't got it right. So we need to come to the cross. We need to recognize that the sin in our lives has disfigured us. We need to recognize that it's only Jesus who can save us, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. We need to recognize that none of us have followed Jesus faultlessly. We've all blown it in our various ways. And if we haven't done it today, then we'll have done it yesterday. I'd be surprised if we haven't done it today. I'd be surprised if we haven't done it since the morning service. To be honest, I would be surprised if you haven't done it whilst we've been in this room. Because it's what we think, it's where our hearts are, that is the critical thing. And shockingly, this thing that really struck me as I prepared this is that Jesus said that 
the way that I love will prove to the world that I'm his disciple. So if I love well, I prove that I'm his disciple. So if I don't love, what does that say about Jesus? If I don't love, does that say that Jesus, instead of being all-powerful, is absolutely powerless? Does it say, instead of being righteous, he is unjust? Does it say that if he's full of care, that he's actually careless? If I say he's full of love or full of grace, does it say he's loveless or graceless? You see... Jesus gave each of us who put our faith and trust in Christ the responsibility to love like he did, to proclaim through our love that he lives. Because we can't do it by ourselves. We're just not able. There is only one way to heaven, and that is through the cross. The good news is this, though. It is never too late to say, yeah, I'm a shredded masterpiece. It's never too late to say, Jesus, please forgive me. Never too late to say, Jesus, please restore me. Make me new. We're coming to the table. We're coming to the communion table, which is all about Jesus' love for us. It's all about his selfless sacrifice. It's also all about us saying he not only died but he rose again it's our risen saviour that changes us we're also told that we should come to the communion table not in a rush not unthinkingly, uncritically of ourselves anyway so Mace is going to come up and, and sing for us a song of his But I'd like us just to take the time, pretty much as we did this morning after the sermon, just to sit and reflect. What do we need to bring to Jesus now? What do we need to repent of? What do we need to say thank you for? What do we need to do to prepare our hearts for this table before we get there?